Hey, Chris. How's it going, Sam? Doing well. Doing well. I have a question for you. So All right. this, this last Monday was Labor Day. And my question is, did you take the day off or did you work? What's Labor Day? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All uh, right. So, no, I, I actually did take most of the day off, but it was not quite as intended. I've had this flooding saga that is completely my own doing in my crawl space. Our sprinkler system, you know, it has the, I think it's called a vacuum breaker. They're a backflow preventer. It's the, it's, oh, sure. it's the little thing that you'd basically blow out your sprinklers with every year. And somewhere in that plumbing, and this shows you my depth of knowledge, there's a small leak. It had been leaking and leaking and leaking probably all summer. So I was down in the crawl space changing my, my furnace filter. And I usually let my kids play down there when I'm down there because they, you know, they love it. It's just at like their height. So it's a little cute oh, they can run around <laughs> in. And so all of a sudden they go, dad, dad, there's a lake in the corner. And I thought they were just pretending, you know, because this was part of the the spelunking game. Right. They weren't. There, oh, there no. Was a real, there was a real <laughs> leak uh, and a real flood. So, so this thing had been leaking and just pooling water. Yeah, and of course, like through the insulation and everything. Uh, of course. But the building boom is huge here, just like everywhere. So I'm not going to get someone in to fix it, particularly having discovered it on uh, Labor Day weekend. So I went down there, you know, I got everything dried up, fixed up, addressed, turned off the water to address the source, of, you know, to just kind of stop the bleeding, right? So sort of turned off the water for the sprinkler system and said, I'll, I'll deal with that later. Got everything cleaned up. Long story short, turned the water, attempted to repair the source of the problem, the actual leak and made it much, much worse. <laughs> so I, I turned the water back on and everything appeared fine. I went for a, a little run and I came back and, and the little crimp connection I made was not properly crimped. So I reflooded the whole crawl space Oh, Even man. worse than before. And, and you, you, your water's been off since, right? You know? <laughs> no, no, there is okay. a happy ending here. Yeah, all right. I fixed it. I, I figured out my problem. I will not be at the end of our show recommending any of these particular shark bite fittings as my thing that I'm into, but okay. I did fix it. And okay. we've been several days with out any lakes in the crawl space. So that was my so, Labor Day weekend. Okay. All right. So you took the day off, but you still worked. <laughs> different job. You did a different job that day. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I had yeah. big plans to actually use it as a catch-up day too. So I was going to well, work either way. And that's and that's why I asked because I kind of, I did the same thing. I actually ended up working working Labor Day and and I'm, I'm curious how you decide on which of those holidays to, to work on. Because there's obviously some that like, you know, you have President's Day and some that are like, yeah, it's a holiday, but it's not really a holiday. And then you have some that are Memorial Day, Labor Day that are more traditional. And then you have your big ones, you know, your 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 Christmas, your Thanksgiving and how that comes into play in deciding which ones you're going to do. For for us or for me, it's like if we have something going on, like if we're going out of town, then obviously the day is taken off. But I don't know. Those are such good days. There's nothing on the calendar. There's nothing going on. You can get so much done on those days. I love those days. I'm the same exact way. I having kids now, I, I try to be 
more careful and more cognizant. So a lot of times what I'll do, I, I would like on a Labor Day or a Memorial Day type holiday, like a tier two holiday, maybe we could call it. Uh, on those, I'll usually set aside a work block in the morning. And I know like this is when I'm going to start. This is when I'm going to end. And, and that's it. On the tier three holidays, like the President's Day, oh, those those are the greatest. You got to be you got to be careful what you what you label a tier three holiday. There's gonna be there's gonna be some complaints <laughs> coming up here shortly. I I, I, I figured President's Day was a that's safe a safe one. one. That's why that's what I stuck with too. I'm not gonna not gonna get into categorizing each one, but yeah. Oh, cool. That was, I was just curious, you know, some people, you know, I, I know others that are like, nope, it's a holiday. I'm going to take it off no matter what. It's a good reset day. And I agree with that. I mean, everyone needs a reset day, but for whatever reason, for, for me, it just aligned up that I'm like, no, I, I got so much on the to-do list. I just want to knock it out. Uh, let me spin off on that a second. Then do you work weekends? What's your, what's your general work schedule? I, I really try not to. There's definitely times where, whether it's a, a truly meaty deployment. Obviously that makes sense. I don't do that on Friday afternoons, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. But there, there's times where, you know, if I know that we're going to have a quiet Saturday, I might do something like that. I try not to do anything along the lines of like, I'm going to do a, a three hour block of coding or anything like that on, on the weekends. Definitely going to be some emails. Might have a random call from a client that will definitely hundred percent take those. But for the most part, I try to keep weekends off limits. As much as I can. That that's good. I usually will take a three hour or so block. That that's kind of my world. But I didn't think about it. Your customers could call on weekends. For me, weekends are off, and so that is a time that I can take a deep breath. Do you swap that time out with you know carve out a time during the week, or is it just adding on to your, your quote unquote forty hours? Yeah, I probably do swap it out. I mean, I'm in a, we'll get into this later in the podcast. I, I'm in a kind of place right now where I'm working a lot of hours, but my lifestyle ebbs and flows a lot. I mean, prior to digging deep or at least conceptualizing this new product that we're into, I was working 20 hours a week for a while. Yeah, it, it really just depends on the stage of the company for me and what's going on. I'd like to get back to something a little bit more sane though. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, there's times for me too, where, you know, I might've just kind of put the bow on a new feature and it's Friday at two o'clock or, you know, one o'clock. And I'm just like, I'm not going to open up a huge new project at that point. So it's just kind of, there's not much to do, you know, there's always something on the to-do list, but not at that moment. And so those are the times where it's really easy to just be like, I got to the living room and Hey, let's, let's go do something and just kind of take the afternoon off and it ebbs and flows. And there's other Friday afternoons where that is not possible at all. <laughs> That's right. Or, so. you know, my last Friday afternoon, we should have a, we should have a whole show on, on work cadence. Cause I, I find this stuff fascinating actually. But my, my last Friday afternoon was one where I was planning to take the afternoon off, you know, so it's around two 30 and I was fried from, from the week said, okay, take the time off. And, and it was quiet. My wife and I were sitting outside on the couch and having a, a cocktail and, all of a sudden my phone starts ringing and then another call. And then, and it was, it was like three calls in succession at you Something's know, from up. four to four thirty, or I'm sorry, four to five thirty. So yeah, such is the life. It is. It is. So, all right. Well, what else is going on? What else is going on? I had an excellent steak last night that I'm still thinking about. I have for leftovers for lunch today. It was a Wagyu tri-tip that I did oh, on the, the Traeger smoker. 
So I did it. that. Yeah, I smoked it and okay. uh, enjoyed watching watching the Bucks game. I, I was a Patriots fan. Uh, still am a Patriots fan. Sorry for most people out there who aren't. But I went to school in New England during the Patriots heyday. So Patriots fan and have followed Brady and Gronk to the Bucks. So had fun watching that great game and kicking off football last night. That's great. Yeah, I, I caught the first half and then I got tired and went to bed. <laughs> so I didn't see it, but it looks like they pulled it out. So, you know, kudos on the win. They, they did. Mountain time is is awesome for that. I, I was going to get say. to bed before 10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some of those games for, I mean, we're, we're central and it's just, it. I, I feel bad for the people on the East Coast. It's like you're up till one or two in the morning. I don't know how you do it. So it sounds like mountain time is the uh, the sweet spot for, for all things football. So that's great. I, I think so. Are you a football fan, Sam? So where where we're located, we are equal distance from probably four pro teams, but we don't have one in Iowa at all. So college football is where it's at. And tomorrow is a big one. It's Iowa versus Iowa State, which is always a huge game, big rivalry. But this one's extra special. It's the first time that I think both teams are ranked in the top 10 while playing each other. College game day is going to be in Ames, where Iowa State is, and so it's going to be a big one. I'm staying home. We're we're not we're not traveling, but I'll be supporting my Iowa Hawkeyes with a big bucket of wings and maybe a beverage or two, and it's going to be a good one. So looking forward to that tomorrow afternoon. Oh, nice. Well, enjoy. Yes. What else is new in this past week in your business world? You know, it's it's been kind of uh, keeping on. With a whole bunch, whole bunch of stuff, <laughs> I'm trying to organize my thoughts here. So I had a couple of demos this week, which was good. Of those demos, I think I've landed two merchants. One of the demos was really interesting. I, I have a bad habit of turning these sales demos, sales product tours into like training tours. <laughs> and so I okay. need to really refocus those and not have them be so feature-based. I had a great conversation with one of these new merchants and he said, you know what? You had me sold on, you know, 10 minutes in. I got the concept. I loved it. You had me sold. And then we kept talking, you know, and it was all good stuff. I didn't feel like his time was wasted. I was literally just kind of going through and showing him the features and he could do this and he could do that. And part of me is because I'm so close to the feature building right now that it's a tendency to be like, Hey, look at this cool thing I built for you that you can do. And oh, so yeah. it's, it's a little bit of an ego side or ego trip on my end. But it's realizing that that's not the purpose of the call. The purpose of the call is to explain the concept, show just enough to get them interested. And he gave me this, this really great, we got to talking afterwards and he gave me some feedback and he's like, you can tell he's kind of a sales guy too. And he gave me this really great line that I'm going to probably start using. Have you heard enough? You know, you just get to the, you do your high, high level pitch, you give a little bit of pause and you tell the customer, have you heard enough to make a decision? You know, what else do you need? And he's, he made a good point. He's like, if they're going to go forward, you're going to talk to them again. You're going to have this great opportunity to do all this training and all this stuff later on, but there's no need to kind of bore them down with all the details up front, which I agree with. And I need to work on that. Do you pre-qualify these demos at all? Like, do you have a quick call with them ahead of time or, or even an email exchange? I don't. So we're using SavvyCal to allow people to book a product tour so they can throw something directly onto my calendar with that i asked some some basic questions you know what's your what's your domain name you know what are you do you have a texting list already are you doing text messaging and so from all of that i can kind of get a sense of 
what kind of merchant they are. And so I'll do some pre-screen. I'll look at their, their website to kind of get a sense of what they are. But generally, I just start off with these talks of like, tell me about yourself. What are you looking to achieve? What stage of the journey are you in when it comes to text messaging? And it's really just learning a lot about them. Frankly, I don't have enough coming in the door that I think pre-qualification needs to happen. I'm not pre-filtering anyone out. I'll talk to anyone at this point. And, and I might be using that word slightly wrong. So not necessarily pre-qualification in terms of filtering them out, but I mean like a pre-call or, or just a quick touch point in order to learn what their most pressing needs are. I mean, why did they come to you? What did they want to focus on? I don't remember where I learned that trick. I wish I could give credit because it's not it's not my idea. But there's two things that have really helped my demos a lot. And one is, when at all possible, having that pre-call, particularly if you have a, a cheerleader within an organization, you know, who's then going to bring other people on. You can kind of have a, an inside football to keep the football analogy going. And start to learn start to learn what's going on and what are the hot buttons in their organization. So like you know, if I'm doing a demo and in this particular municipality, GIS is everything, I skip right to GIS. You know, I don't go through all the other features or go through my kind of standard, here's how you do an inspection. I say, hey, here is how we work with GIS and I show it right away. And then the other little thing I learned uh, that I think goes a long way, but I try to I try to grab their logo and if I can, even some real data for them. And I actually populate the demo site I, right down to the domain. I use a subdomain that I would use for them. And I populate the demo site with their info. And I feel like that gets a little bit of buy-in. So those are, I don't know, those are two things that work for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of customizing the demo. And I, and I, for whatever reason, I didn't do it this week. I think I ran out of time because there's a little bit of setup for me to do this. But one of the, one of the questions that we asked for is a mobile number for the demo specifically. And I can actually put them in into the demo account as a customer, as a subscriber. And then I send them a deal like they were a text retailer or using text retail. And I actually send them a product <gasps> from their website. So as you know, the business owner, they literally go through the purchase process on their own phone as if they're a customer. That's Ooh, gotten huge that results. sounds like magic. It kind of is, especially if you know, I'm sending their exact skew to them and they see how easy it is. And on the demo accounts, you know, we're not requiring a credit card. So they can literally, they're, they're, they're set up as if they're a fully registered subscriber. So they can literally complete the purchase all through text message. And then I can show it to them. I need to get back to that. It just, it just probably what I need is an, it's a really manual process to set that up. And so I probably need a little bit of a script that can clear out the demo site easily put that stuff in and gear up for the next demo. It seems like these demos come in waves though. Like I'll go three, four days without anything. And then for whatever reason, they get scheduled back to back to back. And so it was yesterday that I had three demos in a day that just kind of happened to be scheduled on that day. And that's a little tougher could, to do. You could actually tweak that in Savvy Cal, couldn't you? So you could choose whether to batch them or not. And you could also give you know, okay, you can only book it two days out at most, or at least, I guess. So you have time to prep. I can. Yes. And I think it's just, it's, it's more of an annoyance at this point rather than a pain point. You know, if I was, if I was booking two or three a day, I'd have a completely different process for this because I would need to turn around things a lot faster. I'm also at the point where I want I want these demos. I want these product tours. I want this interaction with potential customers. So I don't really want to 
I guess in my mind, if I if I lock down the calendar too much, they might not find a time, which is I know is silly, but that's kind of how I think of it. And so I want that to be as wide open as possible. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Awesome. But as far as uh, stuff being delivered, I just rolled out our new coupon system or discount system, which has been a request of some merchants. And I think it's going to be a really exciting feature. So basically, the idea is that a merchant can set up a discount, we call them coupons, and assign these to individual subscribers. So instead of, and when they send out a, a text campaign, a product campaign, they can set the price of that, that product. They can obviously make it a deal if they wanted to, but that would apply to everyone that receives the offer. Here, they can have individual discounts applied to individual subscribers and customers. So what's nice about that is if they wanted to do like, uh, hey, get $10 off your first purchase, they can build a coupon, apply it when the person signs up automatically, and then the first purchase they make automatically $10 comes off. And then future purchases, they're, they're at full price. One of our merchants has a kind of a VIP club where these these customers prepaid and they get a set discount off of all of their purchases. They have a they have a physical store, a, a brick and mortar, and so they're getting those discounts at the brick and mortar and he also wanted to extend that discount to the text message program. Is that what drove this feature? Was it a request from that particular customer? It is. That's what that's what started the conversation, but I also see value in it in general. I mean, you look at any e-commerce platform, they have some sort of discounting or coupon code or something along those lines built in. So I think this is something we need. What I'm really excited about is this is the foundation for a subscriber referral system. That, that's kind of step two or phase two of this, this project. And the idea behind that is the merchants, their subscribers could refer another subscriber or a new subscriber. And then Either the person that referred them gets a reward or the new customer gets a reward or both get a reward. And the merchant can actually build the rules in to kind of have a referral program to kind of hopefully get some virality with their subscribers and growing their list. They grow their list. They sell more product. We sell more text messages. Everyone wins. So that's I'm, kind of, I'm pretty excited about that as being incorporated into this referral system. Oh, very cool. I like that yeah. roadmap a lot. Hope the customers do, too. I think they will. The referral system has been asked for more, more so, but I think the the couponing and being every merchant's going to have a different incentive that they want to provide to their their customers, whether it's a you know, one-time free shipping for every person that you refer, whether it's a percentage off or a flat fee off off your next purchase. So this allows them to kind of play and play with that and customize it and so I'm pretty excited about that. Off the cuff kind of question. Prior to the show, you and I were talking about just where in the market you play, you know, and and we talked a little bit about these super sophisticated DTC brands. I mean, they understand inside and out how they want to discount, what campaigns they want to run, and and they're using real intelligence behind it. At that other market, you know, in in other markets that aren't the giant brands, I'm wondering if there's an opportunity at all for education around that. I mean, if if people don't really know what to do, and and you could make suggestions to them as to what works. Yeah, I would I would make an argument that, that education is needed at, at all levels, even those sophisticated marketers, especially when it comes to text messaging. It's still relatively new for a lot of these brands. How frequently do you send out a message? What should be the content of the message? How aggressive do you get with the deal? All of those things people are still figuring out, even even the big boys and the big players. So I think education is needed at all tiers in every market that we go into. And that's definitely something that I'm going to be 
investing heavily in time-wise once we kind of, once I have a really good feel for the product and being like, okay, now here's how you leverage this. And, and I can do that right now. I mean, there's an open offer for all of our clients, throw something on my calendar. We'll have a work session. We'll talk through a different, you know, uh, a new campaign, a new feature concept that you want to add to your, to your program. More than happy to do that. I love talking shop with these merchants and learning what their needs are, but that's not scalable, you know? And so having, you know, guides or docs or another person on the team that's kind of responsible for that customer success is definitely something that that needs to happen down the line. So you're thinking about hiring again? I'm thinking about it, not doing zero work to achieve that, but I'm thinking about it. It's it's got some <laughs> it's got some space. It's a, it's a renting a room in the in the headspace upstairs, so it's it's there. It's it's definitely seeing the writing on the wall and being well. It's kind of what I was talking about with the demos. I mean gets to a point where if there's so many demos in a week, I can't build new product. I can't build new features. And there's a point where that has to be taken off my plate. So definitely in the back of my mind, not quite painful enough yet that it has to happen, but definitely thinking about that. Can I tell you how not to go about it? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, you know, we, we talked last time I just brought on three new hires at the same time, which we knew was going to be pretty crazy. And it was pretty crazy and and still is pretty crazy. You know, prior to bringing these folks on and and getting the help I need, all all remote contractors, but working full-time, you know, the product was moving along in my world at a handful of revenue streams from, you know, just kind of the various products that that we've got under the company right now. And we're really focusing on on pipe tech project, the, the the latest and greatest. You know, this is our SaaS company. This is what we're pouring our effort in. But we were doing so in a pretty steady way. It was Ryan, my lead developer, and I. You know, and, and I was juggling a lot: product, sales, customer support, partnerships, marketing, admin, all, all the usual things. And and it had started to become more and more and more painful. At the same time as traction was really building for this new product. New customers were coming on. We had the long onboarding process that that's happening. So all was good, you know, and made the decision, okay, splitting my time kind of sucks. I, I'm really not uh, optimized at all here. You know, there's certain things that I'm really good at and certain things that I'm not. And same with anybody else that was on the team. So that okay, what what are we gonna do? Time to go all in, you know, the the product showing traction. So I'm gonna go for it. And the two areas I identified uh were customer support and and development. You know, needed customer support to take some of the existing customer support off my plate so I could hone my focus, needed additional development resources to speed up time to market and and get our new product where we wanted it to be. But okay. I, I kind of set up the baseline, groomed groomed our backlog, went through and and closed some tickets in our existing ticketing system, and kind of cleaned things up while I was searching for candidates. Found some great hires, made those hires. Knew that yeah, you know things weren't quite there yet, but we'd all catch on quickly and work together. And while that's happening, and that's we are headed in the right direction. I got to say, I think I, you know, I think I kind of put fuel in the rocket ship and things are starting to rumble and we're about to, you know, blast off. Obviously our spend is through the roof, you know, going, okay. Oh shit. 
Now I remember I was supposed to bolt that tile onto the rocket ship over here, tighten those screws, but it's too late. We're, we're going. Yeah, the countdown's happening. You're, you're launching. The countdown's <laughs> happening. So what I guess I'm saying is that I think I did not put enough time into some of the tools and systems that needed to be in place to make sure that people are set up for success. I focused on the obvious stuff, you know, like I said, the ticket tracking and on the support side and the backlog on the dev side, you know, that was all the obvious stuff. But there's this kind of higher level that I skipped of, okay, how are we all going to work together? And how are we, how are the new hires going to know how we work together? You know, almost the employee handbook side of things, the background knowledge, all of that. I, I skipped over it and I'm regretting it now. And about to dig into to fixing that problem. Do you think that's mainly caused because you brought, I mean, you basically, you essentially doubled the team on a single day and then some. And is it, is it because of the timing of that, of you brought all these new, new hires in and they, there really wasn't a formal, here's how you get started. Or was that going to be an issue regardless of when you, when you brought these individuals in? It's both. I think that. In my previous world, right, when I would hire people, we were actually, the core team was all in an office together, so we didn't have the remote question, and it was all full-time employees, so it felt like we had more time to ramp up. You know, I mentioned in a previous episode that part of my reasoning for going with contractors is that it lets the contractor come on board, do exactly what they are really good at, and add value immediately to our company. And then once that, you know, it, or if that, if that task or if that uh, task is really the, the wrong word, if that kind of runs its course, they can move on and do what they're really good at for another company. You know, they, they have the control and we benefit from the expertise. So it, it's, it was a win-win. What I didn't consider in all that is just how quickly they need to be able to be ramped up. And I don't think it matters too much if it's bringing one person on or three people on at a time. The three people certainly didn't help. There's still a much more robust tool set that was needed for this remote contractor environment in order to set them up properly. I mean, they, they want to hit the ground running because the core competency is there. They want to do what they're good at, like you said. And they don't want to be sitting all around for a password to be sent to them or something along that, that lines and be as simple. Like we need access to the system. We want to get going today. Well, it'll be a few days before I get that to you. That's right. And I feel terrible about it. You know, I have these incredibly high caliber people. They're awesome. They're ready to do great things. And, and as you said, they have the skill set. But even, you know, things like setting up a local dev environment, things like going back and forth with, with passwords and stuff, we actually handled that pretty. And I can get into what we did there because I, I thought it worked. I thought it worked well. But what, what, what didn't work so well is kind of the why, you know, okay, take the dev side. What are we building? Who are we building it for? This is a really niche industry. So what does the domain even look like, right? How do these people work with robots? How do we interface with them? What are they trying to do with the data? All of that stuff is pretty important. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you can, speaking of the developers, you can say, come in here, sling some code, do this thing. But if they don't have a full idea of what's going on in the industry, in the picture, not only from a, they might not build the correct thing because they don't have an understanding of what the, the end customer needs, but it's also, it gets, it can go very quickly to that mission concept of why am I doing this? Why am I spending my hours 
on this product. What am I building it for? <laughs> what, what are we, what are we solving? How are we helping people? What are we doing? What's to this more than, than the paycheck? And that comes into the culture discussion of what are we, why are we all together spending X amount of hours every single day doing this thing? What's the purpose? Yeah. Yeah. That that's hitting the nail on the head and then expanding out from that. Okay. And so that's, that's the why, what's the purpose? And then it's the how, okay, how do we work together? How do we prefer to communicate to each other? What are the tools I have at my disposal? You know, just realized the other day that our new customer success hire didn't have a Zoom account. Whoops, you know, forgot about that. So try, trying to get those things done. And, and so my advice being in the thick of it, if you do start to move down this path is to go a little bit deeper than you think you need to on setting up basically a, a, a company handbook, uh, whether it's a Notion doc or something else that, that explains all of these things. It feels and felt to me really silly with such a small company and such a small team. And now I'm realizing just how important it was and I'm scrambling to, to put it together. The question that I have, especially when it comes to the, the how, I mean, it's, I, th- I think you have a good understanding that you needed to expand on the why, why are we here and kind of get that out to them. But the how is interesting to me because it is such a small team. It's not like you have a new hire that's coming into a team of 20 that you can say, here's how we do things here. You need to adapt. This is the communication tool that we're using. Here's how we record issues. Those tools are pretty much set at that point because you've had that experience and you've kind of hopefully optimized that we're using these tools for a reason. You're saying at a team of 20. At a team of 20. Yeah, like a larger team you've already gotten there. I'm guessing that you're in the state where you might have some preferences on tools, but you don't really know how effective those tools are going to be until the team that you just built starts using them. And my question is how much of that is dictated versus how much is kind of a community effort to figure out, is there a better way to work together? And we kind of grow this tool set and culture together because we've all kind of started on the same day. <laughs> it's there's We're building it all together at the same time. Okay. I, I do have some thoughts on that because we I have two different cases that illustrate these points really well. So on the customer support side of things, we were previously using help. And it was really just it was really just me. There's one other part-time guy helping out, but it was primarily me. So I was not using Help Scout super faithfully, but I was using it. And I did know in the back of my mind I'd be hiring for this position and it would come in handy. So I'm using Help Scout, but there were a couple things in Help Scout that a great product, great product for the right uh, fit, but a couple things that were just difficult. Primarily in this case, they relate tickets to individuals and not to companies, not to organizations. And that's really hard if you have two people from the same organization writing in and uh, you want to relate those tickets and and be able to cross-reference them. Because your customers might have multiple point people on their end. It's a single customer, but you're dealing with multiple people on their team that you need to interface with. Exactly. Yep. And so as I, the new customer success team member is ramping up and he's going, you know, this is a real problem. And I'm glad he caught on to that. And I knew it was a real problem. And so we talked about it. We said, okay, let's evaluate a couple other solutions. He came to me and said, I've used Zendesk before. I think they'd be a good fit. And to be honest, I was a little bit biased against Zendesk because, you know, they're kind of 
I don't know, the, probably for silly reasons, but they feel like they've been around for a while and might not have evolved to the latest trends. But I gave it a look. We did a 14-day trial, and actually this morning I just bought it. And the reason I, I we went with it and are moving to that is because, you know, first of all, the baseline is it did meet our needs and does meet our needs. So that's good. But the real reason for me without looking elsewhere is, okay, that gives the customer support, uh, customer success team member the, the buy-in. You know, they got to make that decision. And if I had forced something else on him, it wouldn't work so well, right? You know, he wouldn't feel that level of autonomy. Right. Well, and, and at that stage, I mean, they're the only one in that quote unquote department. Right. You know, and so yeah, it's going to be his world, right? Yeah, exactly. So he, like you said, gives him that sense of ownership, but it also, it's what they're dealing with day to day. And you don't really care <laughs> when all said and done what the tool is. I mean, there's some considerations from the high level. Does it check the boxes? Does it do it? Is it price concerns, things like that. But, but ultimately I don't think you really care what tool they use as long as the job gets done. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it met the needs. Uh, the price point was fine. And most importantly, there was a reason to change. Our existing tool didn't meet the needs. So in that case, yes, I'm open to change. Now, on the development side, actually, almost a, a really similar deal. We, we use a tool called Linear, which I like quite a bit. It's not perfect, but neither is any other project management task tracker, however you want to look at it, tool. So we use Linear. And had a request from one of the developers said, you know, I get it, but I, I'm really more familiar with GitHub issues. Could we could we actually go with GitHub issues? And in that case, you know, I, I definitely listened to what he had to say. We talked about the pros and cons, but I said, look, Linear works for us right now. Let's evaluate again in six months and, and see where we're at. So despite the fact that GitHub issues probably checks the boxes in the same way that that Zendesk checked the boxes, there wasn't a compelling reason to change. So yeah, in that point. case, I'm going to put my foot down and say, no, we don't need to play around with changing our tools as fun as that can be. Let's just work. Have you gotten the request to uh, switch to a, a new programming language yet? Is that <laughs> <laughs> No, I think, no. I think that's, that's interesting from a developer standpoint. I, and, and this could be stereotyping, but you know, as developers, everyone has kind of their preferred tools in the entire pipeline. You know, when it comes to issue tracking, to your IDE, to, to whatever tools you're using to get to write software. And that can be a challenge to get certain developers either coming on board into your existing systems and changing their workflow, especially, you know, with the contractor kind of set up, you know, if they have you know, three or four or five different businesses that they're working for, or working with, that can be a lot of change for their, them personally to kind of adjust to those different requirements. And, and you'd say that that's the nature of the, the work of being a contractor. That's part of the, part of the gig, but it's, it's interesting to, to see how much, you're going to give sway and what the reasons are to say, yeah, we're going to, because there's a switching cost to you. You know, if you change to a whole different way of doing things just to get the the new hotness, you know, the latest tool, just because it looks neat, that's, you're going to, you're going to be changing a lot if you, if you do that, because there's so many tools that constantly come out. Yeah. Although as a, you know, two man band and, and kind of marching along the way they, we were, we had these tools, but like I said, with Help Scout, it's not like we used them religiously. I mean, even within Linear, Ryan and I would find ourselves building punch lists on Slack and and just chatting back and forth. So there, it, now is the time to start experimenting, but only when we have the right reason. 
What about you? Do you have tools in place right now that you would stick to? Honestly, probably not. There's a handful that I'm using, but I'm. it's such a different prospect to manage a project where you're the only person on that project to even you add one other person and you probably need a whole different tool set because I can get away with throwing notes you know, in random places because I know where they're at and they're just notes to me. It's when you start to have it communicate that to one or more individuals, that's where a lot of these tools come into place. And that's why they were built is for that team collaboration. So I think if we get to that point where we're adding more people, that's going to be part of that process is that's going to be one of the, the jobs is you tell me what tools you want to bring to the table. We'll evaluate them together. See if this, this makes sense. But I'm going to definitely be wide open because, because frankly, I get so stuck in my ways that I've been doing this, this independent building for two plus years. I know there's stuff out there that I haven't even looked at because I either haven't had the time or I just what I have works for me. And so there's no real reason to go look for the new tools. Yeah. Why add that overhead if you've yeah. got a system that works now? Right. And is it perfect? Absolutely not. I mean, are there things that I, but then again, it's also like, am I going to take an afternoon, three days, however long time to port the information that I have into a new system and see if that works and try it out. And I I used to do that with, you know, to-do lists and things like that. There was all different kinds of tools. And now I'm just kind of like, I, you know, what, what I have works and don't, don't really need to find something new at this point. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to go too far down the, the productivity porn rabbit hole. I mean, it, yeah. it yeah, yeah. can be enticing. Only thing that I would push back on a little bit is if you don't force yourself to start using these tools, and I did a half-assed job of it, but I'm glad I at least did some of it, you're not going to be able to evaluate the tools that come to the table. I mean, you're not going to know something like, for me, okay, it's critical that we can organize tickets by company. I mean, I would have had no idea that that was even a, a need and could have gone down further and further into a tool that wasn't the right fit. So there is, there is some reasoning for, for testing a few things out and at least learning your needs. It doesn't even mean you have to switch, but, but you'll learn something. In general, I need to get better at formalizing my process. I've, I've been able to shoot from the hip a lot when it comes to figuring out What's the next thing we're going to build or I'm going to build? What's the, what's the roadmap look like? Franklin's a, it's an Excel sheet that I kind of jumble around and, you know, talking about the customers, you know, a new merchant comes on board and like, we really need X. And it's like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, that might get bumped to the top of the list. So there's not really a formal system or a formal tracking. And it's just very, it's very rudimentary and uh, probably needs to be a little bit more formalized so that when the team does expand, it's not, here's some random Google Docs. You figure it out and, and try to try to decipher the, the tea leaves of what's what's been going on in my mind. It's hard, but it's also, that's easy to say and to, to, you know, easy for me to say, oh, I wish I had done all that. And Sam, if you're thinking about hiring, these are some mistakes I made. But at the same time, like, okay, that's a lot of friction. That's going to slow things down. And maybe the most important thing is just to move quickly. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think part of it is I, I'm with you. I think, and, and that's definitely been one of the hangups that I have when moving into 
to hiring is you realize how much work it is to bring some up to speed. And I think if you just focus on that pain aspect of, oh, it's going to take so long, we're going to lose a month of, you know, bringing people on board and figuring out all these systems and all these things. If you're just focused on that pain, then you don't see the opportunity of, you know, if I bring on another developer, in theory, we're moving twice as fast, you know, or the benefit of, like you said, you're taking stuff off your individual plate, which can be just as important. You might not move faster as a company. You might not be delivering stuff faster, but you as a founder are going to be so much more sane because you can focus on these, you know, you're not focused on 12 lanes. It's maybe down to four and you can really get, get better at those. Yeah. I I think that's so true, but no matter what, you're going to endure some pain until you get things streamlined and, and to where you want them. But I like your point of if you get to that point and probably needs to start not at the time that you've made that first hire, but even when you before you put out that first we are hiring job ad of really taking a deep dive into, okay, if I'm going to bring on, even if it's just one other person, obviously needs to know what their role is, plays a big role, plays a big part in this, but really understanding what's that day one going to look like? What's that week one going to look like? What's that month one going to look like for them? And what things need to be there for them to achieve those goals. And what does it look like <laughs> on a day-to-day basis when I need to talk to the new person and what's that communication going to look like and what's the cadence and how frequently do you meet? And all those things I think need to be not set in stone, but a nice little outline can go a long way of like, this is the plan to onboard this person and here are the goals. Yeah. And a plan that you're able to share with the person, you know, so that they understand what the expectations are. And, you know, for example, in the customer support world where we say, okay, you know, you're hired full time, but in the beginning, there's going to be lots of downtime because we're going to be ramping up. You know, you can only digest so much information about the product at a time. There's only so many calls to shadow and that's okay. You know, that's all right. There's going to be time when you can just hang out and I'm not going to pretend like you have to be doing something productive every single hour that you're quote unquote on the clock, right? Sometimes it's good to just go read Twitter or whatever you need to do. I mean, embrace the downtime. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, that can go a long ways because I'm guessing your, your day is locked in to a to-do list and tasks that need to be happened. Sometimes it's, it's helpful to have someone that can kind of peek above the clouds and see what's going on and see if there is something that's, that's new and out there that needs to to be that the company needs to focus on. And I'm sure that comes more into play once they get ramped up in the, the industry and have a better domain knowledge of what's, what's big, but having some downtime can be really, really good (laughs) for everyone. Especially, especially if you know that you have permission to have that downtime, you know, I think that's helpful. But yeah, one, one thing we did do well, though, is I feel like I've talked a lot about what we didn't do so well. One, one thing we did well, and I'm really happy about, is that we're trying to optimize for async communication and kind of one-to-many communication. So, you know, we're hiring people from different time zones, and there's some overlap, but some not. So what we've started doing, for example, with, with our code base is Ryan has made these awesome videos and put them up on Loom that is just him giving a, co- a tour of a particular part of the code base. And so I think he's got five or six of them now. And both the other contractors that came on said they've been super helpful, but they can watch them at their own pace. 
They can watch them separately. It doesn't have to happen in a live Zoom meeting or anything. And, and, and then they, they can, can re- come back with questions. And they can rewatch them. You know, it might be one of those exactly. things. You know, it's like there might be a point that's made, you know, in minute three, you're like, oh, that makes sense. I want to come back to that. And you don't, you have that opportunity to, to fully digest what's going on, come back to it, reference it. And especially with the more nuanced concepts in there, that can go a long way because it might take a couple of watchings to be able to really understand what's, what's being said. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's something that is pretty cool. And I'm actually going to try to carry that over to the business domain too, and, and put together, you know, it might even be me giving a slideshow, like literally with Google slides and going through a presentation just about the the industry. But then I've got that. It's evergreen. I can, you know, as the team grows or turnover happens, it's right there as a resource. So it's almost like investing to build those resources. I, I love it. I think that that makes a lot of sense. And to be able to reuse those items and have them evergreen, like you said, is a huge value. Because if you do a Zoom meeting, all hands, even if someone's taking notes, it's going to be lost. It's not the same as as being able to to dive in and say, Hey, check out, you know, this video. And even you can go even more specific. If they have a specific question, be like, hey, check out this video, video timestamp at, you know, seven minutes. That's there's your answer and more, more detailed than I could ever give you right now. So no, I love it. That's not a bad idea, actually. Not that we have time to do that, but maybe we can bring say. someone up. You know, but but actually having the videos, if not fully transcribed, at least kind of show notes for them. That yeah. would be pretty cool. Yeah. So it sounds like you got to find a new tool, some sort of wiki tool to handle all your videos. <laughs> so that's that's your next week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Figure it out. All right. So you want to talk about stuff we're into? Sure. So, all right. Well, I, well, I got, got one. I got one this week. So my my wife and I have started, for me, it's been rewatching the HBO, The Wire, which is and I, I don't remember when it was first released, but it's been been a long time. And I love the show. Absolutely just a fantastic show. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. But my wife hasn't watched it yet. So we've been watching it together and she is hooked. <laughs> and so it's like, it seems like every single night, nearly, we we have to throw on one episode. And the thing that I really love about it is obviously the series is done. It's such a bingeable show. You're not having to wait that full week and you can just really see each show one after another and, and really get into it. It was kind of it was it was a little sad news, though. This is the same week that we just heard the news that Michael K. Williams passed away unexpectedly, who plays the character of Omar, which is one of my favorites in in the series. So it kind of hit, hit close to home as we're kind of rewatching this. And I haven't seen it you know, for so long. And then all of a sudden that same news hit and it was pretty, pretty disappointing. But it's he's just an amazing actor in this in this series and so it's a it's a big loss but it's it goes to show just how impactful he was and just how great of a show it is absolutely that's one i watched a long time ago too my wife hasn't seen it but maybe we'll put it on the list because it, it is great well and i've i've caught things that i forgot about you know she's like oh what happens next i'm like honestly i don't remember it's been so long so it's it in a way i'm kind of like there's some key moments of the series that you you never forget. And so I know that those are coming up, but a lot of it feels new to me too, because it's been so long. So it's, we've really enjoyed that. Fun. Mine is completely different. You know, last week I went with something that was way overpriced that, that bike rack, which I still love. But this week I got myself some cable clips. The best way I can describe it is if you or your wife gets a pedicure, Okay. And they put those things between your toes. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. 
I'm not saying whether or not I've had a pedicure. I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> you this see, is the device used to spread your toes apart. You've seen it. You've seen or, yes. I, I, yeah. I, I, I've heard. I've right. seen this happen. They make something like that for, for cables. And, and I'm sure you know about this. I'm sure everybody in the world knows about this. But I didn't. And I constantly <laughs> had a problem with my charging cord for my, you know, my phone and my AirPods and little USB chargers and all those falling beneath the desk and just drooping down. Got this cable clip. Stuck it on the side of my desk, and I am in cable heaven. I've got every cable I need right at my fingertips. That's great. And you've spent two bucks. I was going to say, you've spent tens of tens of dimes <laughs> to, to make this happen. And it's it's not a bike rack, but, you know, hey, it's making it's just as impactful on your life. <laughs> and it's a two dollar investment. I love it. Maybe even more so. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I don't know if we can top that. So I think, I think that's it, Chris. Awesome, Sam. Have a great weekend, and I will catch up with you next week. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.